Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. You can find this on page 952 in your pew Bible. But first, please join me in prayer. Loving God, in you we find grace and news that is so good we struggle to believe it. Open our minds that we might receive your word and open our hearts that we might remember it when it matters most. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Friends, from my earliest days growing up in Honolulu, if you're asking me for an abiding memory in Hawaii, but also in Seattle, where we moved, it would be camping. Uh, my mom and dad loved to take us tent camping. And, and in Hawaii, that was easy to do because we would just drive around the island of Oahu. By state law, there is no such thing as a private beach in all of Hawaii. And so you see a beach that you like, and you could just pull over if there was space, and you would put your tents up, and we would just camp there. We had this little hibachi charcoal grill. We'd swim for a while. It was always warm and wonderful, and then we'd eat whatever mom was making for us, and we'd fall asleep, often under the stars, because it was so warm and so beautiful. We loved camping. And then when I was 11 years old, my older brother Jason was 13, younger brother Garfield was almost six, we moved to Seattle because God, in God's graciousness, called my father from serving as an assistant pastor at the Makiki Christian Church in downtown Honolulu to the Japanese Presbyterian Church of Seattle. It, it, 
It was a change going from Hawaii to Seattle. Uh, I will tell you one thing is we, we, we wondered where the sun went. Uh, in Hawaii, of course, trade winds, etc., in the middle of the Pacific, the sun shines every single day. It is rare for there to ever be cloudy days in Hawaii. In Seattle, you may think that Seattle gets more rain, but actually Seattle gets more rain uh, than a lot of cities, but not even more than Chicago, for instance. Chicago gets more rain than Seattle does. But what Seattle has is more cloudy days than anywhere else in the country. Battles with Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, for that title, the cloudiest city in America. My father, California-born, once he counted 111 consecutive days with no measurable sunshine. I know. Talk about seasonal affective disorder. So we got to Seattle, and we wondered, where did the sun go? We also, we also wondered, honestly, so growing up in Hawaii, this is not unusual, right? Because almost 70% of the population of Hawaii is Asian Polynesian background. But we got to Seattle, and we kind of wondered, what, what, what happened to the United States of America? We thought we were in the U.S. back in Hawaii, and now we discover, where, 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 where did all these white people come from to the United States? It was a surprise for us. Uh, that first summer we were there, Sharina, mom and dad, took us camping, and we went to the Mount Rainier National Park, a marvelous national park. Ken Burns is right, the best idea of the United States is these wonderful national parks. We ended up camping there. Our routine was to camp there for at least a week and a half, going on two weeks. Boys, dad's salary as a pastor, this was a great thing for us for vacation. People would come to the campsites around us and spend a day or two days, and we'd be surprised. We're there for a week and a half, almost two weeks. Mount Rainier National Park is very different from the beaches of Hawaii. Uh, there's furs everywhere. We would hike actual mountains. It was glorious. It was an amazing time. It was wonderful. About the sixth day uh, after we'd been together all of that time, Dad would call us together at night and say, boys, we should go for a night hike. And we'd be, oh, okay, that's good. this is fun. Let's do that. We should leave Mom here. And we're like, oh, uh, well, why? Because why would Mom want to stay here by herself without us? And he would say, trust me, mom wants to stay here by herself without us. Let's go. Well, won't, won't mom be? No, mom will not be lonely. Let's go. In fact, she wants us to take a long hike. We're going to take a long hike away from mom. So we would leave her reading her Reader's Digest condensed book by the Coleman Lantern on that bench with a large blue tarp suspended over her glowing in that beautiful, beautiful night. Dad would always choose, interestingly enough, a cloudy night to go for the night hike, where there was no starlight and there was no moonlight available to us. And then he would say to us, you know, boys, why don't you leave your flashlights here in your tents? I'll just take my big lantern, which has one of those square six-volt batteries. You just leave your flashlights here. We are not the brightest of God's children. We'd be like, okay, sure. And we'd leave our flashlights there, and Dad would go off with us, and we'd start walking around, his lamp leading the way. We'd take turns, and move, turns left, turns right. We'd eventually move away from our campsite, so we couldn't see Mom or the Coleman Lantern, or that blue tarp anymore. 
Eventually, we would be someplace we had no idea where we were, dark of night. And then my father, who is a Presbyterian pastor, who has taken vows before God and the church to love God and love others as he himself would want to be loved, to be truthful and to be honest, our Presbyterian father would have some stones in his pockets that we did not know about. And he would take those stones when we weren't looking and he would throw them into the bushes nearby and we would stop and say, what was that? And dad would say, you know, boys, I was just reading about this. Apparently, there is a one-eyed grizzly bear that wanders around Mount Rainier National Park, especially on cloudy nights. Uh, 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 there is? Yes. Well, uh, Jason, the oldest, very logical, Jason, 13 years old, eventually air traffic controller, Jason said, oh, well, how, Dad, how did he lose an eye? Dad said, you know, it's interesting. Apparently, years ago, a Japanese-American little boy threw a rock at Shakar <laughs> and took out his eye. And ever since then, he is especially angry toward Japanese-American little boys. Uh, uh, well, maybe it was an accident. I don't think it matters to Shakar, boys, because he's lost an eye, and he can smell a Japanese-American little boy for miles around. He's drawn to Japanese-American little boy. He, uh, he, he, he is? Well because, well, because you eat a lot of fish. We're Japanese-Americans. We eat a lot of fish. And so when he eats you, it's kind of like surf and turf. He gets the flesh, <laughs> and he gets the seafood all at the same time. But, uh, uh, yeah, but he, he wouldn't want to eat us. Well, you never know. I'm just saying, boys. And then Dad would throw another rock out of his pocket into the woods nearby. And, uh, what, what was that? Well, I don't know, boys, but it sounded like something very, very big and very angry. Didn't it sound the way to you? Uh, um, uh, maybe. And then our father, who is a Presbyterian pastor, who has taken vows before God and the church to love God and love others as he wants to be loved, he would turn off his flashlight. <laughs> oh, that's the oddest thing, boys. I, I swear I put new battery in this thing. It's, it's just not working. I don't know. But, but, well, Dad, and I will tell you, because we weren't used to this kind of cloudy night stuff in Hawaii growing up, I will tell you it was so dark. I remember this. You could put your hand in front of your face and you could not see it. It was that dark. Um, uh, uh, Dad? Dad? That's okay, boys. We're fine. Dad? Well, what are we going to do now? We can't see anything. I know, boy. And then my father, who is a Presbyterian pastor, who has taken vows before God and the church and each other people about loving God and loving others, he, in the midst of us, in the midst of his sons, his offspring, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, he would stop talking. Uh, Dad, what, what are we going to do now? Dad, 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 what are we going to do? And Garfield, who by now is six and has always had this Eeyore-type outlook on life, Garfield would say something like, I think he's been eaten. <laughs> and, uh, Gar Garfield, stop. No, I think he is now in Shakar's stomach. I think we are half orphans. Gar, stop talking. So Jason now is trying to reach Gar in the dark. I'm just saying they're crying, and our father is backing away for us. Then we would grab each other, knowing we were lost, and we would be terrified, and we would just run. 
completely in the dark. We would run into trees, we would run into branches, we would stumble over logs, we would fall together, we'd pick ourselves back up. Now we're all crying and we're all terrified. And then, by a miracle of the grace of God, we would turn some corner somewhere and we would see this light blue awning and we would see our mother reading her book by the Coleman Lantern, and we would come out of the darkness terrified, and we would all of us just climb onto her and drape ourselves over her. And she would say, where is your father? <laughs> and then a miracle of miracles out of the dark on another side of the campsite, Dad would appear. And I told you, we are not the brightest of God's children. We would look at him and say, you're alive! And we would run up to him and hug him. We were so afraid that you had been eaten. We were so afraid that you were gone. And he's like, Alice, I don't know what happened. The boys are with me. All of a sudden, they're gone. And Mom would say, Dick, we have to have a conversation in the car. I'll never forget that sense of being utterly lost and the relief of finding our mom again, the relief of being found. So Jesus is having these conversations with tax collectors and sinners. These are people who are deemed by the religious leaders of the day to be the unclean. These are the ones who are on the margins of society. The Bible says, you just heard Kim read it, that Pharisees and scribes, actually a better term for scribes is lawyers. The Pharisees and the lawyers, the people who liked the rules, they were grumbling, murmuring about Jesus, welcoming these tax collectors and sinners, talking with them, even eating with them. And then Jesus turns to them all and tells three parables, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost prodigal son. We just read the first two of them. In the first one, Jesus talks about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. 99 he has with him. He has lost one. He decides to leave the 99, the passage says, in the wilderness, to leave them behind, even at risk, and to go after the one. And when he finds that lost sheep, he welcomes that lost sheep into his arms, drapes him across his shoulders, carries the sheep back, and has a celebration, calls friends and family and neighbors, and has a celebration over that one who was lost. And then Jesus tells another parable about a woman who has 10 coins, actually in the passage, a better translation is to name it drachma. A drachma is a coin that was worth, oh, about a usual day laborer's wage. So she has, she has 10 days worth of wages, and she loses one of those coins. That's significant, but it's not incredibly significant, but it's significant, and it's night. So she lights a lamp, which is expensive, and she spends the whole night, apparently, 
turning her house upside down to find this one lost coin. And when she does, like the shepherd, she calls all her family and friends and neighbors together and has a great celebration. She probably spends more money on the celebration than was the value of that one lost coin. To our ears, these parables make little sense. It it would seem acceptable in business terms if you had a 1% loss. If you've got 99% with you and you've lost 1%, well, you would just leave that 1% alone. You have no worries. You just write it off. Even 10%, you could negotiate that and write that off as well. But Jesus says it is not acceptable to lose that one It is not acceptable to lose that one sheep or that one coin. Jesus is teaching us about the very nature of God. God says, I will not leave that one sheep behind. I will not lose that one coin because that one, that one, it could be you. And God's nature is never to lose you and leave you behind. It may not be you. It could be your sister or your brother, your husband, your spouse, your wife, your partner. It could be your son or your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, your mother, your father, your best friend. The nature of God is never to leave the one behind, even though it doesn't make sense to us. God says, I will tenaciously leave all others, and I will search for you because it is unacceptable to the God of the universe for any one of you to be lost. It is unacceptable to God that even one would be lost. The nature of God is that everyone would be found and brought home. So a number of you know that I was privileged to teach for 15 years on the faculty of Columbia Seminary before I came here to join you as one of your pastors. At Columbia Seminary, one of my former students, she graduated and she has, uh, was serving as an associate pastor in Pensacola at the First Presbyterian Church there in Florida. Anna, she called me, left an urgent voicemail, said, please call me back right away. I've got a crisis here. I called her back when I got to the office, and Anna told me that she had a young woman in her youth group, a senior in high school, who had just informed her and informed her own parents that she was leaving Pensacola that she had fallen in love with a 27-year-old sailor there stationed at the Pensacola Naval Air Station. And he was being transferred to San Diego, and she was going with him because they were in love. And Anna said, this is a disaster. This is a horrible decision. And I said, okay, what are you talking to her about? How are you using language to her? Importantly, how are you talking to her parents? And she began to line out for me what she was saying. I said, that all sounds good. I want you to think about this, think about this. And then she said something that startled me. She said, Roger, we've got to handle this right because you have to understand if we don't prevent her from doing this, if she goes to San Diego with this guy, we will lose her forever. 
we will lose her forever. And I stopped and I said, Anna, I'm sorry, what? And she said, well, don't you understand? If we let her go, we're going to lose her forever. And I said, oh, oh, Anna, I'm sorry. That's wrong. And she said, what, what do you mean it's wrong? I said, I'm sorry. Anna, you told me this young woman is a child of the church. Yeah, we baptized her. Okay, you baptized her. Did you confirm? Yes, of course we confirmed her. And you told me she's an elder serving on session. Right, she's an elder. Well, you ordained her, right? You are, yes, she's ordained. And, I said, and because he's moving to, she's moving to San Diego with this guy, she's going to be lost forever? Well, yes, we'll lose her forever. I said, Anna, God is more faithful than that. And she, I'm, what do you mean, Rod? Like, Anna, God will not abandon her. God will be with her, even in the midst of a challenging and potentially tragic decision. Anna, the nature of the God whom we love and serve will never let even one be lost. It is not in the nature of God to even let one be lost. I want you to take this into your heart. I want you to believe this, that no diagnosis, no disease, no decision, no disappointment, no disability, no depression, no addiction, no divorce, no disappointment, nothing can make you so lost that the God of the universe will not stop everything else that God is doing and tenaciously search for you, for the one because it is in God's nature that no one is ever lost. By God's amazing grace, you will be found. When you don't feel strong enough to stand 
comes crashing through when you need a friend to carry you when you're broken on the ground you will be found so let the sun come streaming in cause you'll reach out and you'll rise again lift your head and look around you will be found you will be found you will be found you will be found you will be found
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.